Hello, neighbor, and welcome today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there tuning in with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you, and if it is, feel free to like it and share it with others. If you'll go over to establishedinthefaith.com, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast. You can now get us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others as well. Feel free to contact us there on the website with questions and comments that you may have pertaining to the program today. Well, we're going to go on into the program now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 1, dealing with verses 16, 17, and 18. Hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. been studying in the book of Revelation, the first chapter. Last week we began taking a look at the appearance of Christ as John saw him there in that first chapter. Let's pick it up tonight and begin with verse 10. John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Uh, Move down, if you will, to verse 12. John said, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Uh, The priest in the Old Testament wore similar garments, as we see Christ wearing here, uh, it was known as the robe of the ephod. And these garments represent Christ as our great high priest. In Hebrews chapter 4, if you want to flip over there and take a look at that, the writer of Hebrews, if you think it was the Apostle Paul, You might be right on that, but that is debated. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, if it was the Apostle Paul, he wrote and said, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. So we have a great high priest in heaven. His name is Jesus Christ. He's there making intercession for you and I. And John sees Jesus standing there in the midst of these seven golden candlesticks and Christ wearing these priestly garments, standing in those candlesticks, reminded me of one of the jobs of the priest back in the Old Testament, and that was to order or maintain the lampstand candlestick in the tabernacle of old. Uh, we went through that, talked about that last week. And Christ is standing in the midst of these candlesticks, and the candlesticks being a type or a symbol for the church. If you look down there at verse 20, you'll see where Jesus said, the candlesticks which you saw are the seven churches. Um, the candlesticks representing the church, I think, is a perfect symbol of the church. We are the light of the world, Jesus said, and Jesus standing in the midst of those candlesticks 
tells me that Jesus is the one that is maintaining the candlestick. He is the one that is keeping the light of his church burning and working. And like I said, we took a look at that last week. But I want us to take a look here again in verse 13 at this garment that Jesus was wearing. And it says that the garment was down to the foot. Notice that, if you will. The garment was down to the foot. Another one of the jobs of the priest in the Old Testament was to offer up the sacrifices. And any time a priest was in the tabernacle or in the temple and he was performing his duties, whatever they may have been, he was to wear these garments. And when he was not doing his uh, work, he was not to be wearing those garments. And one of those activities that the priest performed was offering up of the sacrifices. A lot of work and a lot of motions and a lot of actions were involved when you were offering up the sacrifices. You had someone bringing this animal to you. You had to get all down and look around it and look over it real good to see if there were any spots, to see if there were any blemishes on that animal. You would then take that animal after having judged it according to whether it had blemishes or not, you would then take that animal with a knife and you would slit its throat. And the hot blood would pour out and you would take a basin and put it under the neck and catch the blood of the lamb as it was poured out. And then you would have to take that lamb and split it open, place it upon the altar for it to be burned as a burnt offering if this was being done on the great day of atonement and if you were the high priest you would take that blood into the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant was at no one was allowed in that area except for the high priest and all of these actions, all of these motions, that robe of the ephod was rolled up to the knees and it was held in place by a girdle. It was done for safety purposes. And so uh, as all of these actions was taking place, the robe would be rolled up to the knees and held in place with a girdle. But like I said, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was at. The Ark of the Covenant had a gold plate sitting on top of it that was called the Mercy Seat. And on each end of that Mercy Seat were two cherubim looking down in the center of it. This is where God dwelled. And the high priest would go into this area and he would pour the blood on the mercy seat. As those cherubim looked down because inside that Ark of the Covenant was also the broken law. 
So these cherubim are looking down at the broken law. And if you break God's law, then the wages of sin is death. So when God looks down, he's looking down at that broken law. The only thing God can say to you is death, eternal separation from God. But when the high priest would go in there and apply that blood and they looked down, they saw the blood. It's just like when God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. When the high priest would go into that holy of holies and pour the blood upon that mercy seat, It was for the sins of the nation, asking God's forgiveness for the sins of the nation. And after this was done, the priest would come back out, let that robe of the ephod back down to the foot, in essence saying that his sacrificial work was complete. And he would walk back out in front of all the people that were gathered there that day. And then he would pray and bless the people. Here we see Christ standing in the midst of seven golden candlesticks with that robe of the ephod all the way down to the foot. In essence saying his sacrificial work is complete. When Jesus said when he died on Calvary it is finished. That's what he meant. It is finished. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. We see him wearing the robes all the way down to the foot. But him still wearing the robes means that his work is not finished. He is forever in the heavens making intercession for you and I. And just as that priest of old would stand out. Front after offering up the sacrifice and blessing the people that day. Guess what Jesus is doing for you and I? He's blessing you and I. And he's standing in the midst of those seven golden candlesticks. Honey, let me tell you something tonight. If the church has Jesus Christ as the center point, the focal point, the church will be blessed. And if you've got Jesus Christ at the center of your life, then you also will be blessed. All right. We looked at verses 14 and 15. Let's pick it up in verse 16. Revelation 1 and 16. The Bible says that he had in his right hand seven stars. Now, if you look down at verse 20, Jesus gives the meaning of all of this. He said, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. He said, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, the Greek word there for angel is... Agalus, Agalus. It simply means messenger or the one who is giving the messages to the church. In essence, what he's holding in his hand is the pastors of those seven churches. 
And seeing how Jesus is wearing the priestly garments, standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, which is symbolic for the church, and Jesus is maintaining the light of the candlesticks, he's maintaining the light of the church, one of the tools or the instruments that he uses is the pastor of the church, which puts a great responsibility upon my shoulders. Another thing that you can look at here, Jesus holding the pastors in his hands, simply means also that he's going to hold them responsible for the messages that are preached. And those stars in his hand, which are the angels or the pastors of the churches, The pastors belong to Christ or should place themselves into the hands of Christ. And it is my responsibility to go before the Lord and say, hey, what does friendship church need? What do your people need? And the Lord deals with my heart and gives me a message to give to you. And then however the Lord deals with you, that is... That is your responsibility at that point. But it's my responsibility to give to you what the Lord has given to me. I know some of you probably you've got preachers you listen to on radio, television, whatever the case. Whoever you listen to, make sure that it lines up with the word of God. Which brings me to the next point there in verse 16 says, out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. Now, this is symbolic for the word of God. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, he said, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Out of all of the armor, put on the whole armor of God, it is... Equipment that will protect you. But out of all of that, that Paul talked about, the only weapon that the Christian has is the Word of God. That is the only weapon that you and I have that will be effective in what we battle on a daily basis. And how many of you... I'm just use this as an example. How many of you can shoot a gun? Okay. Those of you that can't shoot a gun. <laughs> okay. That's the only way that you can defend yourself. And if you don't get that gun and practice with it and learn how to use it, somebody breaks in your house, you're going to be in a bad way. It's the same way with God's Word. If we don't put into practice God's Word and learn how to use it, when the time comes, we're going to be in a mess. So there's a lot of power in God's Word. But if we don't exercise it and learn how to use it, like I said, we're going to be in a mess. It's our only weapon that the Lord's given us to use. Uh, in Ephesians, not Ephesians, Hebrews chapter 4, again. 
verse 12. The Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is a two-edged sword. Seen here in the book of Revelation, Paul referred to it in in, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 as being a two-edged sword. Why two edges? It's the word of God. Some have said it is possibly representing the Old Testament and the New Testament. I like to look at it this way. The word of God will do one of two things. If you do not believe, then the word of God condemns you to hell. But if you accept Jesus as your Savior, if you believe, then it will save you. So the word of God will send you one of two ways. It will condemn you to hell or it will save your soul. That is dependent upon whether you believe it. Or not. A sword with two edges. All right. I'm going to deal with something now that's controversial. Jesus said, or John said, that when he saw Jesus, he saw the uh, sword coming out of his mouth with two edges. And it says, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. The power of God was so strong that John literally fell to the ground. Some call this falling out under the power of God. Some call it being slain in the spirit. Is it scriptural? There are those that tell us today that such as that going on in churches, it's unscriptural. Well, we have an instance of it right here with John when he saw the Lord. And all that he saw there, he literally fell to the ground. So here we have one instance of it. We have another instance of it. Uh, Daniel experienced it. How about flip over to Daniel chapter 10. Right quick. Daniel had a similar experience. And what he is telling us in his book is very similar to what John saw here in the book of Revelation. Daniel chapter 10. Let's uh, pick it up in verse 5. Daniel said, Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose loins were girded with fine gold of euphos. His body also was like the barrel, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like the color of polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, 
But a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision. And there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words. And when I heard the voice of his words, then I was in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. Interpretation, he simply lost all of his strength, his faculties, and fell to the floor. The power of God was so strong. Um, Ezekiel, turn to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel had the same experience of the power of God being so strong. Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel saw the very throne room of God. And he gives us a description of what he saw. But if you'll move down to verse 28. Ezekiel 1, 28. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. Again, we have the same instance of a person losing strength and falling to the floor under the power of God. I believe the Apostle Paul experienced the same thing. Acts chapter 9. Flip over there and let's take a look at that. Paul was on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9. Pick it up in verse 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And here we have another instance of a person losing strength and falling to the ground under the power of God. So, yes, it is scriptural for a person to lose control or to lose strength in their legs and fall to the ground in such situations. Now, here's the sticky part. Here's where it gets controversial. Does it happen today? (laughs) I told you this is where it gets controversial. I have actually seen it happen in a service. And no, the preacher did not push them down. They just, wham, fell right out on the floor. So I have seen it. Once I know of, 
twice I'm not sure about because the preacher actually laid his hands on them and kind of like this. And the power of suggestion is a very strong thing. And I remember going in a church one time. It was the first time I had been there and ever seen or experienced anything like this. It was at the end of the service. The preacher had called people forward to be healed or whatever the case. And the same men that had walked up and down the aisle taking up the offering previously at the end of the service, they all went to the back and got some sheets or some towels or something and came up front. And they stood up front. And I just leaned over and asked the guy that had invited me to go, I said, what are they doing? We've already took up the offering. What's this? He said, oh, well, they're the catchers. I said, catchers? Oh, yeah, that's when the people fall out on the floor. The the deacons catch them and put a cloth over them if it's the women, you know. I thought, okay. And, yeah, there were some people that fell out on the floor, but there again... You see the preacher doing this number. I'm going to say this about that. If you've got catchers, then you've got pushers. Okay? And the power of suggestion is a strong thing. But, like I said, I have seen it once, maybe twice, since I was saved at the age of 12, where the person literally hit the floor, nobody touched them, and I believe it to be the, the power of God that, that hit them. So yes, it can happen, but as a little aside to that, it don't happen in every service, okay? I got a problem when it happens in every service. First of all, God doesn't work on cue. God don't work when the preacher does this right here, okay? God can hit you at any time, okay? So God doesn't have to wait for you to, to do this. I've seen one particular television preacher do this right here, and everybody on this side of the church falls out on the floor. And then he does this right here, and everybody over there falls out. God don't work on cue. And like I said, the power of suggestion is a powerful thing. But yes, falling out under the power, slain in the spirit, whatever you want to call it, it is scriptural. I've seen it happen. But it don't happen in every service. And there are a few occurrences in the scripture where it happens. Verse 17, again. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Now, this makes the third time that the Lord has used words like this in verse 8 and also in verse 11. Then he says in verse 18, I am he that liveth. 
Jesus is not only alive, but he is the source of life. The first and the last preceding these words, I am he that liveth, means that he is eternal. From eternity past to eternity future, he is the source of life. And there is no life outside of him. Jesus Christ is God. And then he makes the statement there in verse 18, and was dead. That points to the fact that God became man, took upon himself human flesh. And he went to the cross and died. And then he said, behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus is the only one who was raised from the dead under his own power. He said in John chapter 10, verse 17, he said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself, and I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus is the only one who died and had the power to raise himself from the dead. And then he makes the statement, and I have the keys of hell and of death. Mankind is doomed to die and go to hell. But Jesus, by what he did, at Calvary. That is the key of death and hell. That is the key of your way out. All of us are going to die, but not all of us have to go to hell. The key out of hell is the cross. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.